Sorry, guys. We'll go back to joy of the housing of the Lord. Uh, we're doing things a bit differently uh, with the sermon series. So, yes, we'll get back to it. Good evening, everyone. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Mleti, and I'm one of the leaders here at Every Nation 20 Willows Congregation. Such a joy and a pleasure to have each and every single one of you with us. Um, you know, this morning in the morning service, I shared that as we are doing this sermon series, um, Every single year, the beginning of the year, during prayer and fast for like four or five years, um, I have been praying and I'm like, Lord, can I have a singing voice this year? <laughs> and now that we're in the sermon series, I'm like, okay, Lord, it's been five years now. It's time. It's time as we are doing this worship series um, that I get my singing voice. Because sometimes when I sing before the Lord, I'm just like, woo, Jesus, if you had, I mean, God, your ears would be deaf by now, but... Because you are a healer, I'm sure you heal yourself continuously. Um, but, <laughs> um, but also, at another note, a more serious note, is that, you know, what I think I'm trusting for is that a song, songs would come forth from this congregation um, during the sermon series. And that this wouldn't be just another sermon series, but we'd actually uh, be attentive to what the Lord is saying and speaking over us, and that we'd start declaring that through song. So I want to encourage you guys that you guys can actually contribute to Beyond Music and our songwriting initiative as a citywide uh, church. Um, so if you feel there's a lyric, you know, even if it's just one line, just bring it um, because the Lord wants to use that. Um, we saw last year, uh, Lados Park had a, a sermon series on the Holy Spirit, and they came up with a song that was launched during Reach Week. Uh, does anyone remember the song on the Holy Spirit? Huh? Yes, there we go, send us. Must I sing it for you guys? <laughs> if God is suffering for, for my singing, what are you guys going to go through? No. <laughs> um, so, let's just trust God for a song. Um, this evening, we are continuing our sermon series on Undignified, and uh, we will be going through from 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6 from verses... Uh, no, before you get there, can you... Uh, th those are my slides. Okay, why do you guys find my slides? Um, so, Second Samuel chapter 6, just stay there. We'll find the verses at some, some point. So, uh, last year, we had, there was the Soccer World Cup, right? Um, and Argentina won. Um, it was a big moment. Messi uh, finally got a trophy. Um, the World Cup, the, the one thing that people wanted him uh, to get. And there have been comparisons between him and Diego Maradona. And it was such a big moment, not just for Messi, but for Argentina as a country. It was such a big moment for Messi fans. Who here is a Messi fan? Lionel Messi. Put your hands up. Right? Great. So, there are some of us who know what that moment meant. And then there are some people, because they don't watch soccer, they don't have an interest in soccer, they don't even know who Lionel Messi is, and they don't care about the fact that he won a World Cup. And so, it's not a, a significant moment for them. Uh, 2019, uh, South Africa won the Rugby World Cup. Uh, and, and in them winning the Rugby World Cup, I think a lot of us remember where we were, what we were doing, the feelings that we felt, uh, because it was such an amazing moment 
that it was something that is beyond us, right? Um, it's not just this trophy, but this is something that just brings glory to us as a people. But some of you, most of you, were not born when this World Cup happened. So in 1995, right, uh, there was a World Cup in South Africa, Rugby World Cup. It was the first time uh, the Springboks were allowed to participate in a, in, in, a, in a World Cup. And they went and they won the, the World Cup on home soil. But what was significant about this World Cup victory, it wasn't just about them being able to participate. It wasn't just them uh, winning the trophy, but it was just about uh, them bringing together a nation. Because in the aftermath of that World Cup win, we saw uh, there were parades, not the parades, the bus tour, where they, they're showing off the trophy, they're showing off what they won, going through the suburbs, going through the, through the townships, and people were just celebrating that win, as if they were the ones who were playing rugby, right? But as a nation, it brought us together. And so as I'm even sharing the story, there are some of you who are not even aware of the significance of that moment. It doesn't even affect you today. So there are people who cared for that moment, and there are people just like, oh, it's just a trophy. We won a World Cup. Whatever. We move on. And as we're doing the sermon on foolish celebration, we're going to be looking at two people, right? Uh, the one person, the presence of God meant everything to them. And the other person, the presence of God meant nothing to them. And so the presence of God coming and dwelling again in Israel was such a significant moment for David that he was celebrating foolishly. But for Michelle, it meant nothing to her. She even missed the whole moment. So, uh, could you please stand as we read the word? Uh, so, it's 2 Samuel 6 from verse 12. It says, Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked, in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. Father, I thank you that you are good. I thank you that you are faithful. Father, I ask for an awareness of your presence, that your presence is here this evening. Your presence is touching hearts. Your presence is touching minds. And I pray that we'd be aware that you are on the move in this place. I ask that true and authentic worship would flow from this place as a response to who you are. Whatever thoughts, whatever ideas I have, Father, I lay them at the foot of the cross and I ask that you would be the one to speak through me. Father, here I am, a surrendered vessel, willing to serve your people 
and to minister before you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So, what is the ark of God? So, in the Old Testament, right, the ark of God uh, was something that God commanded Moses and the Israelites to build so that there was somewhere for his presence to dwell. Sorry. So, then there was, the ark of God wasn't in Israel anymore because it was stolen by the Philistines. But let's reverse, let's go back a bit. When the Israelites were set free from Egypt, God said, okay, build this ark. This is what it must look like. Lay it with gold. Do this, that, and the other so that my presence can dwell with you guys. And so the Israelites knew what it was like living with God's presence. And so when, the, when God manifested his presence as a cloud in that time. So the cloud would come and sit over the ark of God. And then the Israelites knew, okay, now it's time to rest. Now it's time for us not to journey anymore. And then when the cloud lifted from the ark and started moving, the Israelites would get up and they would follow the cloud. They knew that, okay, now it's time to move. And when the cloud would stop again and rest and sit over the ark again, they knew, okay, now it's time for us to sit and to rest. And then even at night, the God manifested himself as a, as a pillar of fire. So as they were walking in the dark desert, there was a fire, and that was God giving them light, and they saw which direction to head. And so when the pillar of fire was moving, they would follow it. And then whenever the pillar of fire would stop, they would also stop. And that was God's presence with them, leading and guiding them every single step of the way. Then somewhere along the line, because of just their sinfulness and their rebellion, uh, the Philistines came and they attacked them and they stole the ark of God. Meaning now that the Israelites didn't have the presence of God anymore. They were just living by themselves. And so the Israelites started crying out to God and saying, Lord, we want a king. And so God ordained, um, what's his name? Saul. <laughs> Saul as king, right? And Saul was, was taller than most of the Israelites. He stood head and shoulders above the rest. He was a very handsome man, um, as the scripture said. And he was now king over Israel. But something strange happens that Saul, at no point in time, did he ever wonder, why don't you go back and fetch God's presence? Instead, he was so accustomed to not having God's presence that he led from that place of not having God's presence. Right? And so he led Israel, things were great, things were amazing, but because he didn't have God's presence, because God was not with him, because he did not prioritize in pursuing God in worship, because he didn't have a lifestyle of worship, there was a lot of sin in Saul's life. And it got to a point where God was like, actually, I'm going to ordain someone else as king. And so the prophet Samuel, God commissioned the prophet Samuel to go and ordain uh, David as king over Israel. So now David is king over Israel. Um, Saul finds out about this, and his response to the situation is very interesting, is that he's not concerned at the fact that he lost his kingship. He was more concerned as, at what will people say when they find out that someone else has been ordained as king. David grows up, uh, and now he fights Goliath, he kills Goliath. Then the Israelites uh, create a song. They say, Saul has killed thousands of men, but David has killed tens of thousands of people. Instead of Saul acknowledging that victory, that this is God's victory, he made it about himself. His response was that of what will the people say now that I am killing thousands, but David is killing tens of thousands. He was concerned about his image. 
he wasn't concerned about his relationship with God. He wasn't concerned about what, is God is, what God is saying in this. It was more about him. And even as he pursued and he tried to kill David, all he was concerned about is him keeping power, what he looks like before the people. And David did not care about power. David was a shepherd, and so his focus was just on worshiping God and just trusting God to lead him and guide him each and every single day. The reason why David won so many battles where he was able to fight off a bear, he was able to fight off a lion, was because he lived in the presence of God. And so even when he killed Goliath, for him it was like, who's this uncircumcised Philistine who is challenging the people of God? Because he knew what his God was capable of, and he knew that his God was greater than the Philistine God, so he had the audacity to attack someone who was about four meters tall, and he was just like a 13-year-old boy. And he successfully killed Goliath because he lived in the presence of God. And so, my first point is that we have the one who it meant nothing to. And this is Michelle. So Michelle is Saul's daughter. Next slide, please. It says, As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michelle, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. So David, who lived with the presence of God, he knew what it was like having God's presence. He was very concerned that God's presence is not here. We are busy living life, and God is not with us. How can any one of you think this is normal? And so he went, and he fetched God's presence. And as he was bringing God's presence back, he was busy celebrating and having a great time. That God, finally, God's presence is back. We can worship him again. We can live life uh, where he is leading and guiding us. We don't have to do things in our own strength anymore. It's not about us, but it's about him. But Michelle, who was Saul's daughter, Remember, Saul did not prioritize worship. And if she doesn't prioritize, I mean, and if he didn't prioritize worship, most likely his daughter didn't prioritize worship. One of the things that the Lord really revealed to me is that if we as a generation don't prioritize the worship of God, don't expect the next generation to do the same as well. Because what runs in one generation, I mean, what walks in one generation runs in the next generation. So if worshiping God isn't a priority for us, when your kids don't worship God, just know it's because it wasn't a priority for you. Kids learn from what they see, not what we say. I see this with my daughter, is that she, she copies the things I do rather than what I tell her to do. And so I have to be more cognizant of my actions. I have to be more cognizant that whatever it is I have, I will be transferring to her. It's the same with us, is that if we as a generation do not prioritize the worship of God, the next generation will not worship God. It will be a foreign concept for them. And so we see this with Michelle, who was the daughter of Saul. But here's the funny thing about this text, is that Michelle was actually David's wife. But the text decides to identify her as Saul's daughter. David worshipped God. David loved God. Michelle had the opportunity to go and worship God and be with the people who were praising God. But she chose to watch from a window. She chose to sit outside of the presence of God. She chose to sit outside of the worship of God and look at David and just despise him for worshiping God. This moment meant nothing to her because she didn't understand the significance of this moment. 
She was okay with living outside of the presence of God. And for her, it was normal. But because God, I mean, because David focused on God, because David was worshiping God, and in that moment, he didn't care about his social standing. He didn't care about the fact that he is king. He just worshipped. But her response was that of despising him. So we see that she watched from the window. The worship of God was defined to her by her father. And she despised David in her heart. She cared more about what she looked to people rather than the worship of God. Can you go to the previous slide, please? So, then it says, when David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls, and the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. So you see, in that moment, she was like, you are a king. You are supposed to behave a certain way. You are supposed to dress a certain way. You are supposed to look a certain way. But here you are. You've danced and you've praised and you've worshipped God to the point that all your clothes fell off and now you're just standing with your underwear before the people. What kind of a king does this? What kind of a person does not care about what people think, does not care about what people say, and will just stand in their underwear before the people? This morning when, when, when I shared this, um, and we worshiped afterwards, just so you guys know. Um, the morning service, they, they just ruptured out into worship, and everyone just started worshiping in their underwear. So no pressure, evening service. <laughs> so Michelle was concerned, again, you are not doing what is fitting of a king. But David did not care because he was just going to worship God. A lot of times our expressions of worship now uh, have been influenced and affected by our cultural upbringing, by what we've experienced in church in the past. Uh, and that affects us. And now we think that how we are worshiping God now is how God wants to be worshipped. We saw last week when Heng said David did what he thought was best in terms of worship and someone died. Even though in this day and age, no one is dying, but do you know who's dying when we, when we worship God in a way that we think is appropriate? We die. We die because we don't fully connect with God the way he wants to be connected with. He is God. He is sovereign. He's seated on, seated on the throne. He is your father. He defines what relationship with him looks like. He defines what worship looks like. We don't. We surrender and submit to his will, to his authority, to his word, to what he wants. Not what we want, to what he wants. And so if we're going to worship God with, 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 with our cultural mindsets in place, with, with what we experienced in the past in church, we are going to miss out on the life that God gives through worship. One of the things growing up um, in the church I grew up in, uh, my, my family expected me to always wear my Sunday best. A shirt, tie, I mean a shirt, uh, yes, a tie, blazer, jacket, um, shoes with, had a, like a very sharp point. Um, I had to look a specific way in front of people. And their biggest concern was, what will people say? What will people say if you're not dressed in your Sunday best? What will people say if you don't look good? And then I'd be there at church, people are worshiping, people are having a great time, and I'm just concerned about what are people going to say about me? 
I see people dancing. I see people clapping. I see people having the time of their lives. And all I'm concerned is like, yeah, you are so brave. How can you just dance? What will people say? You're looking foolish right now. And that was my thought of worship. And so that I had to package myself a certain way. I had to behave a certain way. I had to even speak a certain way. That even when believers ask, how are you doing? It feels like I have to say, I'm blessed and highly favored. The Lord is just taking care of me. But, and I can't be authentic and genuine in worship and be honest about where I'm at, even in my relationship with God. I can't even be honest and, and genuine and authentic in, in praising God. I was sharing with Hank last week that after, uh, I mean, during worship last week, there was a moment where I just wanted to pray out loudly and just starting declaring the goodness of God. Just, but then in that moment, I was like, yo, what will people say? I want to be making noise. I want to be distracting. They're going to say I'm trying to draw attention to myself. But in that moment, I'm, I just gave in to that voice. I gave in because I was just like, nope, I can't. But I was partnering with the Michelles in my head. Each one of us has a Michelle. When you think about uh, Mimi has been teaching us uh, the willows. Uh, in the morning, it was the two-step. What's it in the evening? It's the willows. It's the two-step. Okay, it's the willow's two-step. Ah, in the morning, it's the willow's two-tap. Anyway, it's the two-step. And so, teaching us the willow's two-step and then feeling like, yeesh, should I even be doing this? Why are people dancing? But we see that David was leaping and dancing before the Lord. So, the willow's two-step is actually the bare minimum of worship. It's the bare minimum of what God expects from us when we worship Him. David danced to a point where his clothes fell off where he was half naked. I don't know about you. I don't want to be half naked in front of you guys. It's going to be very embarrassing. It's going to be very awkward. I'll be very self-conscious. But in that moment, David did not even care about the thoughts of people. He did not even care about the thoughts of his wife. His wife is someone who is very important to him. I care about my, what my wife thinks about me. She's my wife. And so even when she says something, sometimes it, just, it, it messes with my mind. And I, and, and I have to think, I'm like, okay. And she's like, baby, you look kind of scruffy today. I'm just like, okay. Should I change? Should I wear something different, right? Because I care about her opinion. But we see with David, even when his wife challenged him, he did not care. And so we have the one who it meant everything to. And this is David. The worship of God meant everything to him. Let me go to the next slide. It says, David said to Michelle, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. David prioritized the worship of God. He even pushes back on Michelle and says, no, your, 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 God removed the throne from your household because you guys don't worship God. You guys don't prioritize God. He removed the anointing. He removed his presence. And he chose me. And because I am chosen, I will celebrate before the Lord. Not only will I celebrate, I will become even more undignified. To be dignified is to be presentable before people. Um, is to look uh, uh, put together. Is to look a certain way before people. But he said, I will be even more undignified. So he was in his underwear already looking undignified. And he says, I will be even more undignified. So the next step was for him to take off his underwear and just be naked in front of people. That's how committed he was to worshiping God. That's how little he cared for his wife's opinion. That's how little he cared for the people's opinion around him because he was so focused and consumed by the presence of God that he wanted 
to worship. He even goes on and says, I will be humiliated in my own eyes. He was willing to risk humiliation, not just to people, but even in his own eyes. Because he wanted to worship God. Even his wife said, the slave girls will see you as a vulgar fellow. He didn't even engage the people's thoughts. He didn't engage the slave girls' thoughts. But rather he said, they will hold me in honor. So when the question, what will the people say, came up to David, David said, they will hold me in honor. He filled the gap. And a lot of the time when we ask ourselves the question, what will people say if I do this, 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 and this? We never have the answer. But David gave himself the answer and he says, they will hold me in honor. Because I worshipped God. He did not care about the, the, the thoughts of people. He did not care about the opinions of people. So worship was defined to him by his heavenly father. Michelle had worship defined to her by her father. And we saw the fruits of that. That she cared about what people said. But for David, it was defined to him by God. And therefore, he could be undignified before his presence. He was present in the worship. Unlike Michelle sitting from the window, watching, judging, criticizing, he was there. He was present. He was worshiping. He was leading the people into the presence of God. He cared more about worshiping God than what people think. Because when you stand before God, the people around you won't even matter. What matters the most is God. That you are looking at someone who is great, someone who is holy, someone who is worthy of praise, someone who has set you free. Someone who has redeemed your life from the pit of hell, and now you have access into his presence, what people think doesn't really matter. He responded to the holiness of God. He recognized how unworthy and how unimpressive he is. He was a king. He also could have been like, God, you're a king, I'm a king, therefore you and I are equals. No. He realized that he is unworthy and he is unimpressive. There's nothing impressive about him when he stands before God. When you look at God and you look at him, God is way, way, way better. And then he rebuked Michelle. He rebuked that voice that says, what will people say if I worship God like this? What will people say if I share the gospel? What will people say if I share a prophetic word over this person? What will people say if I dedicate my life to God? What will people say if I get baptized? What will people say if I pray in tongues? He rebuked that voice because that voice is not important. The only voice that matters is the voice of the Father. David was so relentless in his pursuit of God that he's the only one that the Bible said God liked. God loves us all. It's in his nature. He can't help but love each and every single person. But with David, he was like, I'm taking it a step further. I like this guy. It was a choice that God consciously made. He said, I like David because he cares about me and what I think and relationship with me. He doesn't care about people. He cares about me. Who here wants to hear God say, I like you? Come on. So, he responded to the holiness of God. He recognized how unworthy and unimpressive he is. Let's recognize how unworthy and how unimpressive we are. We are the foolish things of the world. The foolish things of the world. That's what Paul says um, in 1 Corinthians. And also let us rebuke that voice that says, what will people say? Band, could you please join me?
And so, as we transition back, I want us to take a moment. Just close your eyes. And think of some of the voices that are in your head, that are in your heart, that stop you from worshiping God. Think of some of the voices that stop you from pursuing God. Think about that voice. And I want you to tell that voice to be gone. To leave you alone because that voice has no authority over you. That voice does not own you. That voice is not king over your life. But Jesus is king. I want you in your hearts now to start confessing that Jesus is Lord. Start confessing it in your heart that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He's your father. He's your king. He's your savior. He's your protector. He's your provider. stand. And now, out loud, I want you guys to start thanking God for who He is. Out loud, just start thanking Him. Thank Him that He's good. Thank Him that He's faithful. Thank Him that He is faithful. Just start thanking Him. Start with your voice. Say, God, thank you. Start thanking God. Start praising Him for who He is. Start declaring how lovely He is, how awesome He is, how wonderful He is. If you can pray in a tongue, start praying in your tongue out loud. If you feel like you're a distraction to your neighbor, you aren't. In fact, you aren't loud enough. So start praising Him. Start telling Him how much you love Him. Start telling him how much he is awesome, how great he is, how worthy of praise he is, how beautiful he is. Start thanking him that he saved you, that you get to experience his presence, that you're no longer outside of his presence. Start thanking him and thanking him. So, at the count of three, we all want to scream, Jesus, as loud as we can. One, two, three, Jesus! Guys, I feel like you are still dignified. Let us be undignified in our praise and our worship of God. One, two, three. Guys, I still dignified. And close the religion. Take the religion off. Take the, the voices off. If you feel like you take your jacket off, take your jacket off.
We're waiting for our track to start. We'll keep that energy there. <laughs> okay, guys, I think we got <laughs> we're going to do that bridge one more time. We don't want to lose this moment. We don't want to lose celebrating God for who He is. So, Amé, if you can hear us. Thunder 
concludes our service. <laughs> no. <laughs> Encore. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. God's great dance floor. Okay, 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 okay. Let the 